When you're deep in a dark dungeon and the cleric's down and dying And you've taken all the potions you had left And you feel like you are doomed because the demon you set loose is coming after you And you can smell its breath Don't ever give up Hello, welcome to the Roleplaying Exchange, this is Adam And joining me today, not as usual, but some of the usual saying, fuck <laughs> Good job. Yeah. So we're just game gonna... right out of the gate. Yeah. We're right. just going to start with this. I'm Chris. <laughs> I'm Aaron. Oh, sorry, Noah. No, no, just go ahead. We're supposed to be doing this alphabetical anyway, so. <laughs> and we started with C, and there's at least two A names in here. Let's just restart this, okay? No, I mean, it's no, good, no. but let's restart this. No, this is all staying in. <laughs> we'll fix it in post. No, we won't. So next is Ethan. Okay. Yeah. All right, Ethan. No, order is out the window. Anarchy reigns. I'm Patrick, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm Ethan, and I'm Noah. So, hello, everybody. All right, ladies and gentlemen. Like, I don't know how much this, like, actual introduction is going to make it into the introduction. Uh, yeah, There's six of us here tonight, so it's kind of like the Royal Rumble. If you're familiar with WWE and wrestling, yes. Every stuff 15 like that. seconds, somebody else joins in. Someone else is going to show up. So we'll have Vince in a moment, and a few mm-hmm. other familiar faces. And Is there a contract hanging from the ceiling? Surprise <laughs> entrance as well. And ladies and gentlemen, for this non-traditional cast, we're going to be dealing with a non-traditional topic of non-traditional scenarios. So, non-traditional. Okay, so if we're talking non-traditional, um, what is traditional? What traditional be, please? Well, we have to really think about what we're talking about here. Like, if this is in the uh, the question of like role playing. We have to just define which game we're talking about. If it's Delta Green, the traditional aspect would be, okay, we're all badass agents, secret agents. We do a bunch of things, and then the Lovecraft Lovecraft happens, and we're dead within thirty seconds. Yeah, yeah, badass right. is in like some really heavy air quotes there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Delta Green PCs are pretty fragile, but yeah, okay. So like the big, big games we could talk about, like obviously like D and D slash Pathfinder. Yeah. Uh, what's took over that, and then like the big, the other ones are like I think the big ones are still Shadowrun and Call of Cthulhu in terms of like uh, the big three tempo RPGs, or at least uh, big vampire genres. I would yeah. say the World of Darkness is probably still do not a pretty speak. big one. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, so um, should we go down the list and be like, okay, what's typical for D and D? Ethan, well, in a lot of ways, D and D is since it's such a popular game, it's also kind of typical for role playing games in a lot of people's minds too. Um, hmm. Yeah, but, like when you mention that you play RPGs, people the first thing people say is, "Oh, like Dungeons and Dragons." Or when you say, "I play this game called Delta Green," it's kind of like D anD D, but here's how it's different. Yeah, it's just Dungeons and Dragons is like the metric, or not the metric, but the the, the reference point for a lot of people. Yeah, yeah. And so literally, say D&D, they neighbor. think fantastic. Literally, my next door neighbor. Um, we were hanging out with him earlier today. He's like, "Oh, hey, Chris, I know you like games. I'd love to sit in one of your Dungeons and Dragons sessions." Whew. Like, <laughs> oh, oh, you sweet summer child. <laughs> yeah, it's synonymous for a lot of people. Yeah, yeah. D and D has very much become like the the band aid or Kleenex of tabletop role playing games. Yeah. But anyway, so so yeah, so what what, what would we say is a, a typical. D and D Starfinder, but we're kind of wearing the same skin. Uh, game. There's definitely a lot of things that are like common tropes in a typical D and D game. Like you're starting a small town, you're all uh, just kind of local heroes by by the end of level five, and usually there's a, a plot to uncover, a villain, some sort of MacGuffin, maybe the the B B E G, as it were. Yeah, you all meet in a tavern. Exactly. Yeah, you meet in a tavern. Level one, you find some rats in a tavern cellar, uh, and I think there is a lot of. I mean, there's a reason it's called Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, a lot of it boils down to like go place, kill monster, get treasure. That's like the core. Yeah. Gameplay loop. Yeah. To that was use a, a lot of video game term, I guess. Game a lot of. I mean, the, uh, there is no kind of. Uh, structure was often like, well, we're very, we were very successful tonight. We killed a lot of goblins, and we made it through this many rooms, and we got this much gold. Yeah, and there's definitely a ludic aspect of it. Like Dungeons and Dragons is built to be like that. Like you, 
you go to the thing, you kill the thing, you go to the next room, now you have more stuff, and now you're better at killing the next thing. Yeah. Like, that is yeah. very... It has its roots... Well, yeah, because D&D as a game has its roots in mini-wargaming. It was sort of the oh, yeah. role and story aspect sort of come secondary. So that means I think a lot of the core typical stuff is centered around strategy and combat and enemies to face. You know, you, you couldn't really have a game of D&D where the main enemy, like the main issues you're dealing with are social problems. You know, you couldn't have a The Wire, but with elves. <laughs> <laughs> where like the main problem is like crushing so like crushing poverty and and drug filled streets and the like and that doesn't now, work really indeed. so so I'm, I'm just think- imagining imagining like a a sixth level bard like a tenth level fighter and like a uh, a rogue is like all right we're all getting together you know what we need to fight now systemic racism <laughs> <laughs> oh shit Elrond coming <laughs> <laughs> the uh. The Dungeons and Dragons version of True Detective. <laughs> what Bright said it would be, and then <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, so, yeah. I, I was just gonna say that I think with D and D, you could technically do like a wire or something like that. It's just the mechanics aren't really there for that, so that would all have to be like basically improv with people at the table. Yeah, and you can so. kind of do it. Like a lot of people do have certain even in the the dungeon master's guide there's a list of like well you can do an investigation heavy game or you can do you know these other types of games but you know there's six stats in D D. one of them is charisma and that's it for social the rest are skills that you know you get some other bonuses but that's all it's just charisma so you've got strength dexterity and uh constitution are directly relevant in combat like every time yeah, and then depending on what other class you are, you may be casting spells with wisdom or even charisma. Yeah, so, so. moving this back to sort of talking about like that, that, I think that that will shape what typical and atypical both is and can be. Because as you say, like if we try to go very radical in the atypical stuff, where like so doing this social commentary or dealing with big abstract things, like if it's not a monster that you put in front of a fighter to punch, D and D like as a system isn't really equipped to handle those interactions. It doesn't really have much in the way of systems to do that kind of thing. But if you were to move to another game uh, with systems like, say, Rain is, is about like, running these big bureaucracies and, and, uh, and organizations, you could definitely do it in that. So like, I think there is, when we're talking about doing something typical and atypical, there's also sort of the third option of like two rated. So I oh, think yeah. it's to try, to try to work in a sweet zone. I would like to interject here just a tad bit the genesis for this particular topic originates from i just basically have sat down and read four different fantasy novels just to kind of get the flavor for fantasy i used to read the Dragonlance, uh, forgotten realms kind of novels when i was in high school and early college and stuff just kind of got out of it and i've just finished reading a series of books by Drew Hayes called the Spells, Swords, and Stealth series. And it's like NPCs, uh, third book's Going Rogue. I can't remember the second one I just read, but basically this whole uh, book was, or series of books is set up along the premise of uh, the player characters enter the world, get killed, and the NPCs are, fe- are fearing the king's wrath because they those player characters have been recruited for a job so they assume the mantle of the hero and this series of books just follows these npcs as they step up to the role of hero and it's, it's very unique and just that's kind of what got my head thinking which kind of leads me to my next point i want to ask you guys since we've kind of defined what is typical would you say that i could follow the format to a degree of a Dungeons and Dragons game, but if I just framed it in a different kind of setting or so forth, it would work. For let me give you an example. I think it would be cool to start a game off as your your player characters that are looting a body a battlefield, pilfering all the dead for what they have, and then you uncover something. Maybe one of them had a relic or something like that, and then let that be the inciting incident that leads up to grand adventures and so forth. Would that alone make my scenario idea atypical? I mean, potentially, because if, if we're dealing with a genre, 
like D and D is sort of built around the heroic fantasy, and obviously, like heroic is in varying degrees of like irony. Like Conan the Barbarian is particularly ironic, but it's obviously very influential on D and D. But I think there is definitely this uh, assumed typical trope of like, if not heroic or virtuous, at least justified protagonist. Like you can be a, a horrible monster in Delta Green, but against the crushing forces of the mythos, kind of anything is justified. So you don't feel dirty for playing them. So like playing characters who are in a lot of ways the bottom of the bottom, like they're the, the scavengers, they're people who steal dead men's boots, would be a, a sort of uh, an element of subversion, of uh, abnormality. But uh, I, I don't know if we, we could say that's an entirely typical scenario. I mean, if nothing else, it's, it, it's more of a plot hook kind of scenario. Yeah, yeah, it, it would be an, an atypical start, but kind of depending on where you go from there, it would it would determine whether or not the entire campaign or at least the scenario would be atypical. So, like, like that sounds like the uh, the beginning of like that could be the beginning of a Call of Cthulhu scenario, honestly. And you could make it atypical by setting in a different time period. Like, it could be. You know, you could be Civil War soldiers looting bodies on a battlefield, and that's where you find, you know, the thing that starts the whole campaign off. But like Noah said, I think it it's a matter of where you go with it that would make it atypical. I would just say that looting bodies on a battlefield would be a very sort of in-universe kind of tropey start for a Warhammer fantasy campaign, considering that there are, like, occupations and stuff in that game that are just that. Picking yeah, bodies and raiding tombs and stuff like that. So I was just, literally just thinking that. Yeah. So just kind of shifting. You're still within sort of that same fantasy genre, but depending on what system you're going for, it kind of alters the the lens that you're looking at it through. Yeah. And I think the the setting can have a lot to do with you know the game that it takes or the game that takes place in it. Like you know, if it has one or two defining things, like Oh, arcane magic is outlawed. If you are a wizard or a warlock or a sorcerer, you can expect trouble if you are casting spells and people see you. And that can be compelling. Or, you know, there are only humans. And if elves are like an extreme minority or hated or monsters, basically. Yeah. And actually, one one, uh, type of game I've always really wanted to run is, um, uh, was inspired by a blurb in the Dungeon Master's Guide about the mythic fantasy kind of archetype of there's not, you know, there's not like 40 beholders in however many square miles. You know, you're sent by the gods to fight the beholder or the mind flayer. Yeah. So there, it's kind of like Greek myth where there's like yeah. one, one big thing and you need to go kill it. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, I really like the idea of that. It could yeah, very much be like the Twelve Trials of Hercules, the burdens sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that actually sounds really cool. That would definitely be a, an interesting campaign, depending on how you how you structure it. Yeah, and I don't I don't have any other idea for it necessarily. Just that core concept of take most of the monster manual, and in this world, there is one of most of them. Yeah. And other than that, I have no idea. But I'm interested, and apparently, no one's on board. So that's at least two. <laughs> I think it would be cool. I'd love to see you rip off the Odyssey with a framing device of Lost at Sea, and then boom, you hit something. And then, I mean, you're cut off from resources, playing underpowered characters. Dibs on like Odysseus. Yeah. Or he dibs on the Guile hero. <laughs> or you could be like, you could use, uh, you live in a fantasy world, but no one's really sure if monsters exist, but then you're mining and you go too deep. And then, surprise, you find that monsters are totally real. And then, it, you know, you have to figure out a way to keep your economy going with mining and whatnot, but also not get eaten by the horrible, horrible things that live under the ground. Yeah. Which, damn, that sounds like a lot of fun, too. Yeah, I think I think low magic settings in D&D are kind of underrated, and it would be interesting to do, like, well, no one knows if there are gods, and you're the first guy to cast a, a cleric spell in like 200 years, so that's important. <laughs> yeah. Which could work pretty well with like the mythic thing, you know. You're not mm-hmm. just a cleric; you are the cleric. Yeah. Uh, so we sort of talked about like subverting tropes, and then like moving on to more like campaigns. I, I, I sort of quite 
think quite big picture in this. So in terms of the, we talked before about how the, the loop in, in a game like D&D is about progression and growth and this upward curve. Mm-hmm. Um, you kill monsters, you level up, you get better at killing monsters. I stab 12 orcs, so I speak Elvish. Um, but if you look at other games, you can you can definitely structure things around it very differently. If you look at, uh, like Delta Green and Call of Duty, those games are built around a decline. Yeah. Those are your characters falling apart. They start about as good as they're going to get. Uh, and then they have very limited resources that whittle down over time. So in, in Call of Duty, Classic Sanity, in, D- in uh, Delta Green, they go a bit more detailed with things like bonds, uh, which gradually abrade and sort yeah. of represents the, the detective fiction trope of uh this is why daddy drinks uh the, the, the case that the case that broke you um so bringing that sort of structural approach to something like D, like i would quite like to see a, a a fantasy game that is about not empowerment not even necessarily disempowerment but sort of this responsibility of power so I, I, one of the ideas i'd had for this was like okay you've just stormed the palace and you've killed the dark lord but like that infrastructure is still there. Like you are, you know, level 20 heroes. There's all these magic artifacts lying around. Peace has just been declared and it's a lot harder to win the peace than it is to win the war because, you know, you've got to deal with the army of orcs that like are sat around without commands anymore. And if you fuck that up, if you, you know, give, if you don't handle that very well, you're going to do just as much damage as the bad guy was intentionally. So kind of like a fantasy version of Reconstruction? Or, or like nuclear disarmament, like shit, yeah. we, need to, we need to like defuse all these bombs that have been littered around the place. Because uh, otherwise, uh, and, but they're, they're like ours, yeah. So um, there was a video game on, the, I think, I want to say the PS2, PS1 now, um, you probably would know it because it's very japanese which is about a ronin who has been maimed severely and his body parts are placed with you, weapons. I know what you're talking about. But you I are thinking think of Dororo, which is a Osama Tezuka manga that was adapted into a movie and a game. But yes, basically, uh, he was a, I think he was a samurai who sold his body to demons to gain like power, and now he wants to get all of his body parts back. So he has to go around Japan killing a bunch of demons to get his original body parts back. So he's right. losing like having like swords and like flintlock pistols like inside of his like fake body and regaining his real like human skin back. If I remember correctly, doesn't he have like a little sidekick that follows him around too or am I thinking of something else? Uh yeah, I think he has like a little kid companion. Yeah. That's like a pretty standard thing. Yeah. Or you could always do like the dark cloud thing but in an RPG where, you know, the world has ended and somebody's got to go put it back together and your party's the one to do it. So This concept of a power vacuum is created by de- defeating the end-game boss is what I like. That's, that's a really awesome idea. Right there. Um, there was actually just announced a, I think it's for the Switch, but it's like a Dark Souls-style game, but instead of, basically, whenever you beat a boss, you actually get weaker and you actually have like a kind of like a time limit on like your playthrough. I just heard about like yesterday, so I don't know that much about it other than like that little lines. But yeah, that could be a a, a setup is that you start out as like the super powerful like level thirty character, but every time you defeat a like one of the major bad guys, you go down a couple levels. So you just work your character in reverse. Hmm. Interesting. Or you could do the uh, like. This would maybe be a little harder to do in, in a, like a pen and paper RPG, but you could do the uh, the Symphony of the Night thing where you go face, you're go getting ready to face like the final boss or whatever, but he kicks your ass, steals all your power, and you're back to level one. Yeah, you get you get Metroidvaniaed into yeah into I, nothing. I think that would be harder to create a character for. Yeah, but you would almost have would to create be... an end state and a beginning state at the same time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it it sounds like pretty much just what Chris said. You would have to like start your character, build your character from level one, and then level him all the way up, just so you know how your progression goes, and then go back all the way to one. Another, we're looking at this from a mechanical standpoint too. Another interesting idea would be that going back to Ethan's, like you start off as a regional hero, then a like a um, citywide hero, then like a a nation national hero. You could do the, the exact inverse inverse of that. 
like as the game goes on, you you are lauded as heroes, but it becomes increasingly clear that the populace hates you, and like all these things that you are doing, all these dungeons that you're clearing are actually traps that they are trying to get rid of you. Hmm. You cause more damage than than uh, help. Is that the idea of like the uh, the adventurers being these like washed up rock stars, like they used to play these huge concert venues, and they're like busking? <laughs> exactly. There's a, or you could do the uh, a uh, an overlord type thing where you literally are trying to build like you could you're playing the villains and you're trying to uh, create an evil army. Like, yeah, I think that's um, a, a fairly common. In- well, common makes it sound like I'm putting down, but like I think a lot of people's first experience with like, hey guys, let's do something different. Yeah. Uh, especially if they're relatively new to the campaign, is like, hey, what if this time we're the bad guy? Yeah. Yeah. That- well, my first, we'll see. I mentioned. I said Overlord at first, but the uh, uh, what I was actually the first thing that actually popped into my mind when I was thinking of that is there's an old novel called uh, Heroes by Necessity, mm-hmm. or wait, it may be Villains by Necessity, and it's there. It's it takes place in a world where there is no evil. So this group of adventurers is like, well, some like they decide they're going to be the villains because. Okay, yeah. So from the Wikipedia entry, uh, fantasy that takes place in a world where good finally triumphs over evil. The novel follows a group of villains who discover that without more evil, the world will be destroyed. So it's kind of like a, well, we need to balance things out situation. So One thing uh, I think is interesting about, you know, when the, the players come together and say, you know, oh, we want to be an evil group is, you know, we've talked a lot about the setting and the, the GM creating an atypical environment but a lot of times the players can do that like like with the evil campaign where they get together and say well we're just going to be four bards we're going to be kind of like uh like chris was talking about earlier we're going to be four bards we're going to go on tour or we're going to play all halflings or all monks or something like that (laughs) oh yes the punk band traveling (laughs) through the fantasy world (laughs) oh god what's the fantasy version of green room and I just want to point out, in, in my, my particular set, setting, it's that you are all in a band, and none of you are bards. Because <laughs> that's also, more true Also, to I just have to say, so, excuse me, can I just say, chaotic neutral milk hotel. <laughs> oh, <God>. <laughs> <laughs> you motherfucker. Okay, I'm done. I'll see you guys later. I killed the podcast. Good talk, everybody. <laughs> I, I'm a warlock. My, pa- my patron is this uh, the demon Black Francis. Camelot 1945 Before we digress into too much pandemonium, I would like to He said digress, take a drink Alright (laughs) (laughs) Well, I started a podcast off like five words in and I go, fuck So, I mean You can tell we're pissed You think he'll accidentally quit recording this time? (laughs) Fuck Fuck you Okay, (laughs) for the atypical scenario It's really something also You gotta have this was kind of mentioned beforehand less directly, you've got to have player buy-in for it. You've got to have the group that if you're going to deviate from the norm, you've got to be comfortable enough to know that you're not going to be alienating them in the process and their expectations of what a game is and what they want to do to have fun. And sometimes it, it well, I, I would argue every time that, you know, if your players haven't experienced something, typical then they don't appreciate how different something atypical is like if you you know if you run a dungeons and dragons game that's just basically box standard stuff then a lot of times the next time around your characters or your players will make more or less tropey characters you know it's like a lot of times you start a game you have the the dwarven fighter and the tiefling warlock and so on and the elven ranger the elven druid and those kinds of archetypes and then later on, you do a second game, and they're like, "Oh, I want to be like a, a tiefling druid." Well, what? Yeah, I, I definitely think, like you're saying, having that initial sort of experience with the really, really bog standard campaign kind of thing is can be very important and educational because I I think most of us here would be able to say that we've probably had that like really early experience with probably D and D and it's been like, okay, here's the orc fighter and the, the, the dwarven fighter and the elven ranger and all this other stuff. 
And it's just, oh yeah, yeah. The, we've I've seen this all before. But new players get excited about that kind of thing too. Oh yeah, totally. And I'm because I'm kind of running like I'm running lost mind of Fan Delver. Um, mm. Great, great name by the way, Fan Delver. Roller rolls off the tongue. And uh, you know my group has a lot of like dwarven fighter, uh, tiefling cleric, or, uh, tiefling warlock, uh, uh, wood elf druid. Pretty you know troperific stuff. Mm-hmm. But it's not it's not always a bad thing because those kind of tropes are popular for a reason. Now now with this campaign, are you gonna try and like twist it a little bit just to give them something that isn't quite so typical? Or oh, yeah, I'm gonna start kind of weirder stuff. Like it helps that the uh the warlock is a, a patron of the or has a great old one for a patron. Oh nice. I, I've talked about this before, but I'm I'm kind of riffing on the uh the god's teeth setup for him. Nice. And, and I already kind of like using a lot of like Lovecraftian sort of stuff, or I guess in the the the, the monster manual, it's almost more just like Cthulhu shit than it is like Lovecraftian. But yeah, having having that knowledge of it definitely helps. Right, well, do we want to talk about something that isn't D anD D that we can well, do? I would do that. <laughs> the fuck I've been trying to do is like D, to like call it Cthulhu and shit for a while. Well, we so, could yeah. talk about somewhere lane. A game that was run on RPPR using Delta Green rules, but it definitely wasn't a Delta Green. But what would you say made it not a Delta Green game? I would argue that Delta Green in it is about competent people doing competent things and then well, being blindsided by the mythos. Well, <laughs> which Aaron? Which podcast? Because I would say I mean, all of both and both. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I'd just like to clear something up real quick. There's a rumor going around that I have no survival instinct and that I make poor choices in games. I'd like to dispel this. It's not true. My good name is being dragged through the mud, and I certainly don't appreciate it. He so also did I have not give $130,000 to Stormy Daniels, ever. <laughs> <laughs> so I have, I have three examples I can list right now of you having poor survival instincts, Aaron. Big news. He almost set a grenade off. Or, no, he almost set fire to a gasoline trail leading to a hangar full of uh, uh, explosives. Wait, when did I do that? When we played Time Watch. Oh, <laughs> I forget. <laughs> Back to the topic at hand. Uh, yeah. I, I would say that Somewhere Lane, which is a great creepy AP and AP, definitely, uh, one thing like, that makes it atypical is that like you're not like they were playing law enforcement and, and such, but they were not playing in the setting. So that's one thing. Like They, they weren't playing members of the super secret government agent program. They were just the the paramedics and a cop that just were unlucky enough to get this particular call. Yeah, they're very much like first responders as opposed to like the um, federal agents and like specialists you typically see in a Delta Green campaign. There was another one on RPPR they did that yeah, was like, a trail engine, but it was more solving a, a murder mystery in an Edwardian country. Right and lunch. <clears throat> what was that one? A title again? One more time, please. Brighton Lodge. It was their um, the Agatha Christie esque murder mystery. But yes, like the the point I'm actually trying to make with this though is that the basic concept of Delta Green and things like that is that you are clued in, you are in the know. But somewhere lane, you like they were not in the know and they have been infected, and that completely changes how the game is run and how like one has to interact with the world. They're, they're, like it's the ludic versus the um, narrative aspect. Yeah, it also introduces the weird a lot earlier and a lot more overtly than I think a lot of horror scenarios, especially Lovecraftian horror scenarios, do. Where you usually get like small hint early on and then like mounting. Whereas like in and then like you get the, the oh god thing like two hours of three hours of play in and then like somewhere lane is like they're in the house and then oh shit you are the oh god thing. Your entire existence is oh fuck! What have I done? The scenario is like damage control. Yeah, yeah. the 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 problem makes itself known almost immediately, and also the fact that the other players are kind of clued into the problem because they were given instructions beforehand on when certain things happen. They have to act in a particular way. Definitely helps kind of break the norm when it comes to, like, a, a Cthulhu horror scenario type thing. So it really doesn't take a whole lot of deviation from your original starting point for any system before you kind of, like, you know, slap a new paint, uh, coat of paint on it and it 
become something different, so to speak. It's about subvert. It's subverting the underlying beliefs of the system. Like I have a very weird idea about subverting the very concept of what is a role playing game. Like turning a game into absurdist theater and making it like we we're all playing this game together, but it's waiting for Godot or it's Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead. Like you see that with the plays the thing, but imagine trying to do the plays the thing, but in a D and D setting. Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are Ted. Yes, they're Ted. <laughs> Not Bill, Bill, just Ted. Jinx. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, well, then you're sort of getting into the again coming at it from a structural perspective. Like if you're going for this waiting for Godot thing, which is built around waiting for something to happen that doesn't, like it, as I say, it's waiting for it's waiting for Godot, and there's this absurdity, and then it's this build up with no payoff. I think both from a storytelling and a gaming perspective, we sort of have this core that I don't know how far we can get away from of there needs to be some kind of conflict and or mission. So there needs to be something, like there needs to be something to do. There needs to be a story somewhere. So having like two homeless guys sit, sit like one in a park bench, one in a bin, and they just talk on stage for an hour. Um, that's great theater. I don't know if that's a good game. And even then, it's one of those things that's very clever, and you can do it once, and then you can, if you do it again, you're the guy who's ripping off Waiting for Godot. <laughs> True. But then, like, so I don't know. you can look at something like Fiasco, which does that every single game. It, they're always one-shots, but they're always the same sort of thing. Like, you play this game, things go off the rails, and yeah, they're designed to go full of events. Like, yeah. Everything happens. Like, that's not Waiting for Godot. Yes, but they happen in such a matter that in such a manner that it doesn't matter what you do. They're going to happen no matter what. Hmm. Okay, so it's more about like not the element of uh, events and conflict, but more like agency? Yes, exactly. Like, yeah. uh, I, I find the concept of removing agency from a game, and like it, this obviously needs a lot of player buy-in, but I think that could be a very interesting con- like conceptually. Like it, it's experimental, clearly, but it could be hmm. cool. Yeah, I mean, you could look at um, the final revelation for that, which is like Mm -hmm. the classic Lovecraftian game is built around like, here is a mystery, solve the mystery. There's probably a ritual, you should stop. Like, so, yeah, like, solve the mystery, stop the ritual, maybe fight a monster. Load up a dynamite campaign. Yeah. And like, final revelation is, I mean, it's a series of, it's a series of, connected scenario, one shots with a frame narrative, but the frame narrative is about going, no, you didn't, you, you never did. Uh, oh, spoilers for the final revelation, by the way. Uh, um, but that, that yeah, sort of it's... twist is very much around, like, leaning hard on uh, takeaway agents, or, or like, leaning takeaway agents, because you can do things in it, it's just that it means nothing. Yeah, it's very fatalistic. Which is pretty Lovecraftian. Yeah. I would honestly say the final revelation is the only truly love crafting game or campaign I've ever read. Like, you get the pulpy shit. Like, you get Call of Cthulhu from Mask of Nyarlathotep, but, like, you don't get that, like, the world is doomed out of anything besides the final revelation. Yeah. I mean, so if we're talking agency, we can also talk about, like, uh, active versus proactive. Like, heroes tend to be reactive. Like, here is a thing. Like, something has gone wrong. If you are going to change things up, like, a really easy way to do that is, is uh, and this is one of the reasons why evil campaigns can work, uh, is that villains tend to be proactive. So if, if you have more of a, you need like kind of a sandbox thing, but if you give the guys a goal, but don't tell them how to get there, like don't don't have an army of invading undead, but have to be like, there's a kingdom of, of undead over there, we should probably invade that. Like that's, that's a different game because it's about like marshalling your forces and gathering intelligence. An example of one game that's really good that, I think does this is Blades in the Dark, where you are uh, a gang of criminals. Uh, and so, like, a lot of, you know, games would be like, something's been stolen, figure it out. Uh, or, or, like, someone's been murdered, solve the murder. In this, you are the assassins, the thief. And so, like, that mean, makes it very much player-directed, because the, the GM can, like, offer contracts, or you can go, no, nah, there's a jewelry store, I'm going to smash the window, see what I can grab, and then run. And that's your session, because you said it was. Yeah, like, like I'm trying to think of any other games that are kind of like that. You can kind of do that with with red markets, with the whole scores and stuff like that, where you kind of take control of what your your crew is doing and say, "Hey, I want to." I thought of like this this thing that could be in you know in this world that we could go and get for our game to help make us like better or help us just survive. So yeah, that's another way to kind of like add a a 
a twist or a subversion or something like that into what could just basically be like a a long haul dungeon crawl dungeon crawl kind of game. Okay, guys. So I have a, a, a non traditional campaign one for you. Well, let, let me tell you. Uh, tell me what you think. So, all right, we're going to be going probably D and D Pathfinder, something fantasy based. Uh, it is a quite high fantasy setting. There are dragons. There are you know manticores and all the all, all sorts of uh, many magical beings. Magic is real. Problem is that they have been whittled down. Their population numbers are now really small and on the edge of extinction. Um, so the campaign premise is that you are the rangers, druids, ecologists, maybe a paladin, uh, whose job is basically to prevent ivory poaching for dragons. So we're the Endangered Species Act of this fantastical world. Yeah, you are those, like, you know in Africa they, they have, like, rhinos who have personal escort. Like, there's, there's, some, there's like, a team of motherfuckers in a mm-hmm. jeep with M16s just driving along saying, yeah, come get the horn, we'll shoot you. Like, you're those guys. Uh, so it would nice. be, like, uh, yeah, so it's, it's, like, to change up, like, it would, it would be, like, an inversion of the, like, kill the monster, like, it's preserving the monster, we could, like... Uh, even change the the glow crudding thing where it's not about going like this session we're in the mystic waste of Katakhov and then the next session you're in the sweltering jungles of like no you're in this one nature reserve for the whole campaign and you're putting up a sign saying no poaching allowed and then killing everyone who steps over the line I would play the shit out of that now, Patrick, I'm going to need you to write down those place names for the, the show notes for Adam. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Also, can my shield have a tree on it? Yes. Okay. <laughs> All right. So I don't think you guys understand how deeply into this I am as a biologist and somebody who's deeply into ecology. Like, you could you could like play this out as not just um dealing with, like, endangered species and things like that. Like, we could talk about the actual idea of, like, what it means for something to die out. Like, the species doesn't die out when the last animal dies. The species dies out when the last breeding population dies. And that's not, that doesn't mean, like, a breeding pair. That means, like, there are 700 dragons in the world. If we go below 650, they're going to die out. Because that's just how genetics work. Like, it could be this intensely political game. It could be not just political, but, like, um... It could be political, it could be physical, it could be all sorts of weird shit. Oh yeah, it could be like economic as well, because you get into like the, yeah. the black market in, in ivory and um, exotic pets in, in in the world where people are like kidnapping like lions and panda cubs and shit. Like, oh, that's really depressing. So, but it's, like, it's real, it happens. This is my baby tiger. This is my baby manticore. He's the sweetest on the planet, and I'm keeping him safe so that no poachers can get to him. Yeah, you're yeah. still fucking killing the species, lady. Or he's that even? I was saying, like, uh, like dragon scales as not just, you know, obvious trophies, but as, like, you know, armor and that kind of stuff. Like, well, I need I need these dragon scales to keep me safe. I No, fuck you. Yeah. We have metal. We have mining. <laughs> where steel steel's and really that- good. Yeah, but even then, like, you have the Chinese potion industry where, like, they kill rhinos for their horns for aphrodisiac. It doesn't do anything, but it has cultural significance. Like, well, how they, or they grind up dinosaur fossils. Like, you know, the, the, how many points of a... You, you, you hunt deer, Adam. How many... What's, what's the difference, like, points on a duck? Uh, like, yeah. For dragons? Yeah, yeah, you can't go for points on the antlers, so, like... Well, hell, that's a 20-point... <laughs> You know, Drake, shit, yeah. Good in my literal man cave where I keep my men. But <laughs> if, you were, if you were going to do this, so would you would you tackle this as a large overarching campaign, or would you handle it as a literal monster of the week setup, and then see what develops as you? structure the world out in which these characters are interacting uh, I think critically I don't know if it would have the legs to be a, a super long form thing because it would be very geographically located because as I say it's this this one nature reserve and nature reserves can be you know huge and sprawling of course yeah uh, but as I say there's a, there's a reason most fantasy uh, stories are kind of travel lost because you're sort of trying to show off the world I was going to say like you could and you could make to like build in tough choices too where 
you know, you're protecting dragons, but there's this other species that needs to be protected too. And, you know, maybe you go watch them for a little bit, but while you're doing that, someone might get the dragons you were supposed to be watching. So like, you have to make decisions like, okay, which one of these is not more worth protecting, but like, which one is gonna, you know. And even then, maybe there are indigenous cultures who uh, are based on like hunting these things. Like I'm thinking of, a, of the Inuit and whale at this point, but even then, like, they're much. They're not as bad as many other cultures who are yeah, destroying the Faroe Islands in Japan and Japan. Yeah, and lots of cultures whale. Yeah, but like we we have these this resource that is declining due to over abundant reactions, like people trying to hunt it down, and then we have these other mi- minority cultures that are directly affected by laws or destruction of these sorts of things. Like this could be a very complicated campaign. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and and you can even have situations where because these are you know gigantic magical beasts and things like that is the 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 quandary of is it ethical to let this one particular species die out because they are so destructive to everything around them even though that's their natural state yeah um, like hippos kill hundreds of people a year yeah but still you know preserved for a reason. Also, half the time they're fucking sentient in the fantasy universe. Yeah, 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 you could definitely like foster a relationship or a bond with things like lions who bond with their keepers. Because uh, yeah. if if your if your animals are any any kind of social and you're around them a lot, you know, they're either going to try and kill you or they're going to bond with you. So, so we're going to do the dragon heart game where <laughs> one of us has part of the heart of a dragon. Potentially, <laughs> potentially. I mean, if we do this, you know it's going to be fucking me, because I'm a sucker for all animals. <laughs> I thought that was me. Never mind. <laughs> no, you're a fucking monster, Adam. I've heard your stories. <laughs> Go punch an Amish. <laughs> an Amish. Yeah, there goes my Amish demographic on the podcast. Thanks, Chris. Let We're playing that game. I kill the dog. Adam, there's no dog. It's a dragon. I kill the dog. <laughs> now, I, I do want to end on a different note on this. I think we covered a lot of ground. But I also want to commend Patrick because he has uh, just in the past couple of weeks, we ran our first session of uh, Dead Cell. Was that what it's called? Or did I just Dead fucking Dead Shift. Dead Shift. It was a boy, it made an impression on me. Sorry, Patrick. Thanks. <laughs> no. But, <laughs> Here's what I wanted to go with on this here. I played base raiders. I've had fun playing base raiders. But the whole, hey, there's bases. You can go in there and you can take their shit. And you can buy stuff and make yourself like a bigger badass. That just never appealed to me. Much like how typically Dungeons and Dragons hadn't appealed to me. That grind and uh, dungeon crawling, which is literally what base raiders is. And Patrick ran a phenomenal first session of this game, which I'll let Patrick go into the details of it, because I really look forward to the day when we could get back to that and post it. But he (laughs) essentially, Patrick, tell me if I'm wrong here and you can go into the premise here. But did you just slap a different coat of paint on the premise of base raiders and just totally rework it to where you had my buy-in? Well, the genesis of it was actually, um, I'd had my own on a, on, a, on a system for a while. I'd first seen it advertised at Gen Con 2016, uh, and then it turned up on the shelves of my local game store at a discount, so I thought, eh, why not? Uh, it was a Kickstarter game called Rotted Capes, which was a mashup of the zombie and superhero genre. Very much a uh, in the base of, like, I don't know if you've read any of the Marvel zombies, uh, mini-series. Uh, and I, I mentioned, like, hey, I picked this new thing up in the in the chat, and uh, Aaron and the premise, uh, and then I had the thought, well, like, yeah, I am too, but I don't know if we've got uh, the the headspace to uh, learn a, a new system, if we were going to do anything with it. But we did already know a superhero system. No, we well, fucking did raiders. not. No, we did not. <laughs> we this Adam is where you edit in us going, what the hell is this character creating? <laughs> I feel like uh, I was studying for the GRE, but let's keep going. You knew how how to play Fate, the necessarily creating a hero wasn't. Yeah, we were already familiar with it because we belonged to the RPPR fans. <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> I thought, well, 
Uh, the zombie apocalypse made a good parallel to something in Base Raiders, which is Ragnarok, the, the sort of the, the slate clean, the, the thing that like gets rid of most canon superheroes in the setting and leaves the bases open to raiding. But if you take a, a, a survival twist on it, because like superhero as a setting is very much about that power fantasy, about that escapism, and Base Raiders sort of feeds into that with through a lens of, of capitalism, of like, you're going in there and you're stealing stuff and then you're selling it and then you're buying new stuff that makes you cooler. But if you go into like a, 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 a um, uh, the zombie survival thing, you know, suddenly the, the setting is less, well, first of all, it changes completely the context of what you're scavenging. It's, it's not just something that's left empty. It's, it's potentially a zombie infested hellhole. And, you know, the horror element uh, comes in. Second of all, like community is much more important in zombie fiction. Like you can talk about how it's, it's, also a power fantasy of a sort because everyone likes to think they're Daryl with the crossbow have this cool chainsaw, blah, blah, blah. But like at the end of the day, most zombie stories are about a community. Often that community falls apart, but it's about a community. Uh, and so like the idea of raiding bases, not for profit, but to keep your stuff going is sort of where uh, Dead Shift came from. So uh, the, the, for people listening, the, so the, the community is uh, an orbital super prison which was really nice and secure because it was in space when zombies happened. And it can last for a long time because, you know, superhero settings, they've got really great tech and magic and they can just print food and recycle oxygen, but, you know, machines break down. Uh, so you're, you're heading to Earth to scavenge things to keep your ivory tower in the sky and occasionally take on uh, refugees. But also, you know, was, I, I did sort of <laughs> um and ah over how much of a community thing to make it like uh when when i was initially drafting this i actually had a word with with ross about like should i make uh each mission have like would each faction have different like hungers like you have to go out and find stuff for these people or else you know you, you get outbreaks on on the water or stuff breaks down and i eventually like threw out a lot because it was it was going to be a lot of our first time with base radio surface civic safe simplicity you're just answering the the call of the of the shackle, the prison, but you still have some room for power fantasy. And uh, Aaron is definitely leaning into that by trying to get as many powers as he can. <laughs> you just want cool, st- cool powers. Put the okay. fucking spear down. Make me bitch. I mean, you say he's he's after all the powers, but man, I'm going to be like really far in debt. I'm way, way further than him. It's okay. This is America. <laughs> that's, that's part it, of existence. It literally isn't. <laughs> We're in a fucking space prison. Space Force <laughs> claimed it for America, Chris. I, I am... My character's literally insane. Like, I am the craziest person here, and why am I the voice of sanity among you? <laughs> but before we diverge too much, even though I just agonize, uh, agonize antagonize, well, maybe agonize, <laughs> a little bit of both, the way it'll be. It's the simple fact of, as I said beforehand, you just giving me a different reason to work on this game, like for, at least for myself, you got total buy-in. I would, I would go raid a base just like I would with base raiders, but you know, I'm trying to get copper wiring so they could, you know, feed it into the fabricator to blah blah blah. I, I dig that. Thank you. Uh, as I say, I'm, I'm working on session two, and we can be able to run that fairly soon. So sweet. Yeah, vampire castle. Attack on so, attack on castle vampire. <laughs> so. I hope that uh, this uh, discussion on typical scenarios and deviations from them has been enlightening. Uh, in lieu, uh, in lieu, that means instead of. <laughs> yes, in light of, I think is what you're In, in light of, yeah, but English degree folks, bask in it for a moment. Uh, we usually try to do shout outs. I'm kind of going to limit myself to one here. And before my fucking monitor broke, Asus, yes, I'm talking to you, Asus, not Asus, but Asus, the company. You mean uh, Aces? Aces. No, whatever. <laughs> Listen, with this accent, I could mispronounce shit from here to Kingdom Come, and like everybody look, oh, it's cute. He's trying to speak <laughs> big words. Bless his heart. <laughs> people. <laughs> Much like how Patrick could say. Cause, could say any nonsensical thing, and it sounds much more... It sounds oddly classy. <laughs> yeah. Well, of course, I know what a bubble door is. Um, but I was enjoying Far Cry 5 quite a bit recently. It is... It's Far Cry. It's every Far Cry that I've, I've played, except for the Caveman one, because fuck the Caveman one. I did not like that. But 
just really have been enjoying it. This particular Far Cry, Far Cry 5, has a silent protagonist, which I'm not a big fan of. I was kind of hoping as games we would have recorded two different sets of dialogue, but that's cool. But it's just a damn world. I mean, the story, it's weird. You're going out, you know, Midwestern State, killing a bunch of Bubba's. But it's just the animals, I guess. Like, have any of you all played it yet? Uh, I've beaten it. What about those fucking eagles and turkeys and wolverines? Jesus Christ. The turkeys are on PCP or some shit. Like, that's the only... Like, no, literally, they will just run the fuck up. And, you know, they're like geese. They decide they've got beef, so they're just like, you want you want to fucking taste, bro? And then they're just like pecking you, and you've got no choice but to shoot them. I mean, you know, you don't want to do it, but you can't keep getting attacked by this fucking turkey. <laughs> well, I do not, I don't told you this personally, but I was playing the game, wandering through the woods, and I found a, a hunter, and I was walking up to him because you can trade for, you know, weapons, ammo, blah, blah, blah. And as I'm approaching her with her coon dog, she starts entering the generic. Uh, NPC dialogue, hello, blah, blah, blah. And all of a sudden, this eagle comes screeching down from the sky, <laughs> attacks her face, flies off. She shoots at it with a shotgun, and her and the dog take off over a hill after that fucking eagle. And I, I don't know how it ended, but it, you know, 10 out of 10, game of the year for me. Emergent gameplay. <laughs> uh, by the way, Adam, if you think the story is weird now, just wait till you finish the game and it just gets bad. <laughs> Oh, yeah, I've heard people having strong I've, opinions about the ending. I haven't played it, but I have watched the ending, and yeah, they're, it's all of the cool. endings are just kind of bad. Also, it is A-Zeus. A-Zeus. Yes. Really? Yes. I just linked I, the video. To how you say it. I have always pronounced it Asus. This yeah. is America, and I, I can pronounce words the way I want. So I mean, sure. You don't sure. like it. If you don't like it, you can get out. So yes, I was saying it right. And be ignorant, Aaron. Good for you. Chris. Well, he is Texan. Um, <laughs> All right, let's move along. Who else, no has mayonnaise jar. <laughs> who else has got some shit they want to talk about? Uh, I'll go uh, something slightly different. I'd like to uh, give a shout out to a YouTube channel and a SoundCloud channel called The Confused Byproduct of a Misinformed Culture. Yeah. Uh, byproduct with an I instead of with a Y. Uh, they do really great uh, mixes of like trip hop and synthwave. I'm a really big fan of uh, the It Came From The 80s series, which is a uh, collection of mixes of dark synth and like, I don't think horror wave is a thing, but stuff trying to sort of emulate the sound of like 80s horror movie soundtrack. So very heavy uh, pounding synths. And it's like really great to work to. Uh, been listening to that a lot. Uh, I have a thing. Uh, I recently, a friend of mine showed me two episodes from one from the last season of the X Files that they did, and one from uh, the one before that. Both really humorous episodes, but also really just like good game fodder. One's called the first one is called uh, Mulder and Scully meet the the Were Monster, <laughs> and the other is the Lost Art of Forehead Sweat. It would be hard to talk about the first one without spoiling it too much, but the second one is about the Mandela effect, and it's hilarious, and I'm not sure how to use the Mandela effect in a game. Like, I don't know if you'd have to do it as a mechanic or a role or what. Um, You should read um, Sense of the Sleight of Hand Man by Dennis Detweiler. It's a Call of Cthulhu campaign, Yeah, but there's a mechanic in that that is basically the Mandela effect. Gotcha. It's super fucked up. I would highly recommend both of those episodes. You don't really have to have prior knowledge of the X-Files. Uh, they're hilarious. Kumal Nanjiani and the guy who was the leader of the werewolves in uh, What We Do in the Shadows are in Monster. Oh, you mean Reese Darby? Yeah, that's his name, Reese Darby. <laughs> Reese Darby is the best. I love him. Werewolves, not swearwolves. Uh, but uh, yeah, they're both really fun, and I think they could be... Uh, fuel for a couple different kinds of scenario. So that's what I've got for right now. So um, I am always about a year behind when it comes to video games and shit like that. So uh, I've been playing Prey a lot recently. Hmm. Getting those, those, oh, those, the, the cubes. Xbox game. Yeah, uh, the PlayStation game, but yes. Yeah, no, I'm getting so many cubes. It It's basically open world Bioshock, but it has a lot of thoughts 
if you look into it, it's a lot about cognition and the way we interface with the world. I don't want to get into spoilers or anything because apparently I spoiled spoiled the game for myself by just kind of thinking too hard. <laughs> and just for reference, you're talking about the 2017 game, not the twi- not the 2006 game. Yes, the 2017 game. Those are two extremely different games. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I, I could I go on and on. The same name. I thought it'd be best to differentiate. I could go on and on about Prey Two and the whole debacle with that, but I'm not gonna. Um, the, the good thing about the 2017 game is that it's also basically done by the guys who did Dishonored, which is another fantastic game. Yes, the second one is also very fun. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I couldn't get into the second one. I, I see. I played as I think I, it's because I played as the girl. I can't remember her name. I want to say Elizabeth, but that feels wrong. Oh, you don't like female protagonists, huh? Mm, no, I just I literally can't remember her name. <laughs> oh God! Oh God! Abort! Abort! Oh. <laughs> so, anyways, no. Aaron, what are your thoughts about ethics in video game journalism? <laughs> well, you no, know, I've got no. a lot of thoughts about that, Chris. Uh, <laughs> oh, cut his mic! Cut his mic! Oh. <laughs> That's uh, gonna have to re- uh, wheel out that podium. Just like uh, I let myself down, I let the podcast down. <laughs> God, um, I'm so mad. I never punched Milo Yiannopoulos in the face. But no, the new prey is really good. Um, it is. I never got around to finishing it, but it is very much a System Shock, Bioshock style game. Yeah, no, it's it's a very interesting game. It has a lot of complexity to it. That like mm. if you look into it, it's fascinating. I played the demo and the world seemed cool, but like the gameplay didn't grab me. But you know, if I gave it another shot, it might be something uh, I got into. All right. So you want me to bring this up, Chris? Because I'll do it if you won't. God, please. Okay. He's just so, let me die in a hole. So Chris is having some trouble getting to Gen Con this year. So my whole thing would be um, go to GoFundMe, Adam. If you could put a link to his GoFundMe Certainly. in the description, I'll just everybody ask to go check it out throw a few bucks his way you know this might be one of the only times we can all get together in like the same place for a while so uh, i would ask all of you fine fine listeners to go and support chris and laura his lovely wife and help them get to gen con this year because it would be totally awesome to have all of us together and be able to do like a live show game something so I am, Absolutely and I am sure there are many people among our friends who would just want to punch me. So, yeah, there, there's, there's, a, there's a, for a, a a cornucopia of reasons. I mean, he's already at like, I don't know, like almost halfway. So, you know, any little bit helps. There you and go, buddy. When Noah says throw bucks, he means throw literal deer at Chris. Yes, <laughs> we'll rain antlers down upon him. <laughs> By the way, the female protagonist in Dishonored 2 was named Emily. So you got the first letter right. I was close. <laughs> Wait, back to what Noah said. Yeah, please hook him up. So I give that big bastard a hug. So God, please, please don't. So everybody can tower over me because you're all over six foot tall, apparently. <laughs> and I hate it. Good times. Good times. Hey, Ethan, do you have anything that you would like to shout from the heavens? Uh, I'll give a shout out to uh, completionism or uh, lack thereof. I just finished playing. Um, I just finished playing Batman Arkham City for the first time, Ooh, and uh, a game notorious for having a lot of Riddler trophies in it. And I was having an okay time, just kind of cruising around, picking some up, getting an achievement here and there for uh, rescuing a hostage from the Riddler. And then uh, I started looking to see, well, how many do I have to get for the next one? And it was like 80. How many do I have to get for the last one? Oh, I have to get all 400 to get the last one. And I I had a, a fork in the road. I was like, I really, part of me, truly wants to keep playing, even though I will not have much fun doing it. <laughs> and the other part of me was like, turn it off and play wrestling. <laughs> and I turned it off and started playing wrestling. And so I'm glad you, I did. You coward. I uh, forget if I got... I know I got all of them in Arkham Asylum because there wasn't that many, but I don't remember... I don't think I got all of them in Arkham City. I got I've, all of them in Origins, and I was mad as hell when I did it. I've played Arkham Asylum three times, and every time I've done it, I've gotten every Riddler trophy, 
and not have like hardly any problem except for this last time I had a hard time finding some of the Joker teeth to smash. But man, the there's four hundred of them. There's four hundred of them. Ethan, I have gotten every single fucking Korok seed in Breath of the Wild. Did you we're really? All, we're all very yeah. impressed. I feel I'm gonna say I feel like you're lying, but I know you, so we can hear his eeping through the call. Okay. I I would <laughs> I'm like so to fucking Go ahead, Chris. Sorry, go ahead and finish your thing. I I have an obsessive problem, so uh, I'd like to to tell you, fine folks, that in Arkham Origins, uh, should you get, I think it's only eighty, but should you get all eighty uh, Riddler trophies, what would you assume uh, you get for that? You know, I'm guessing, you know, you think you'd think you'd catch the Riddler, you get an achievement, right? Something like that. Guess what happens when you get all eighty trophies? Nothing. Fucking nothing. The most brutal gift of all. <laughs> you literally you break into his hideout lair, masturbation cave, whatever the fuck it is. You punch through a a, a panel, and you're like, okay, cool, he's gonna be in there. No, the fucking door opens up, and there's a mannequin sitting there, I think. I think this is how it goes, with a screen for a face, and he's like, hey, you found all my trophies, good job. I'm not actually here. Go fuck yourself. <laughs> this and this is why the Riddler is my favorite Batman villain. And I don't like. I don't get angry playing video games. I'm usually just like, all right, whatever. Like that's annoying, but it's not that big a deal. This is one of I think three times I have come super close to just going fuck it and chunking the controller. Uh, the other two times we're playing Bioshock Infinite on hard. Ooh. Oh god, <laughs> fucking hard mode. Dude. Specifically, the Lady Comstock fight. The and Lady in- Comstock fight. Yep, I was gonna say that. I played through most of that on hard, and I fought like I think I did every one of the uh, legally distinct from Big Daddy fights, <laughs> and I did not have hardly any problems. But that that Lady Comstock fight was rough. Yeah, so I got past that on hard, and that was tough, but I made it. And then I got to the end where you're controlling Songbird on the airship. <sighs> And I said things that I'm glad no one was around to hear because I could not take them back. Uh, I cursed God. I cursed myself. I said unforgivable things about Ken Levine. And then I almost threw my controller. I'm glad you got to use that podium you willed out a moment ago. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I ended up bumping the game down to medium because I was like, fuck this. It's not worth the fucking aneurysm i'm gonna have trying to beat this shit on hard and you know what honestly it wasn't worth it that game does not end well so i i'm still a big fan of that game and it's bonkers ending but yeah no i'm into it too i love a lot of these concepts i'm not a big fan of the execution yeah I guess. Well, well, anyway. Yeah. Speaking the of things that don't end well, <laughs> I'll just find it with Well, here comes the favorite, my favorite part. Well, folks, I appreciate you all for tuning in to us. It's been a little bit of a thrilling show here, but I hope that you enjoyed it as much as we enjoyed recording it. Uh, if you would like to, well, <sighs> Chris, what was that beautiful song that we heard that I have not changed out yet? I don't know if I ever will. <laughs> Well, Adam, it is a critical hit by Ghost Mice. You can check them out on uh, Planet X Records and for other folk punk goodness. Awesome. Goodness. Or, like, don't. You know, that's that's also an option. Hey, Aaron, also, you know what's also um, an option? Kicking you out of our fucking podcast. Fucking do it. <laughs> also, don't forget to uh, check out our Patreon. We've been forcing Adam to set up by reading you this bit because he's been dragging his feet on it. Yeah. <laughs> Damn it. I'm going to have to post this in June. <laughs> <laughs> For a Patreon on the way, yeah. please, please consider donating when it goes live. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. If with you guys help, maybe I'll get to Gen Con next year. Who knows? Yeah. Um, you should also tweet at us. We are on Twitter uh, at RP exchange. That's R-P-E-X-C-H-N-G-E. You can email us at roleplayingexchange at gmail.com. That is correct. Okay. Uh, and you can find us on Facebook. That should be facebook.com slash the roleplaying exchange. Yep. Okay. One and yes. So you should do that. And you should also go onto iTunes and leave a rating and review. It helps us, you know, become more visible on like iTunes charts and stuff like that. So that would be very helpful. Thank you. 
Yeah, if you like this video, like, share, and subscribe, you know. Uh, <laughs> smash that like hey, button. Guys, smash that like button. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> no, I'm serious. Go do that. That helps us. Please, that we've been doing this. We've been doing this for over two years. We got we got seven little stars or likes on iTunes. Hook a brother up. You know Adam, what? I'll... Adam, we've been doing this since like 2013. It's been more than two years. Adam, you've always <laughs> been here. <laughs> oh God. Oh, from Cocosa. And, it's... and now it is time to take off our backs masks. I wear no mask. No mask. No mask. No mask. Not all fights are won by skill, some are won by luck. Don't ever give in. You've got to keep on trying till you lose or you win. Cross your fingers, roll the die. Wait with hope for the big 2 0. Cross your fingers, roll the die. Let it go, let it go, let it go. Let it roll, let it roll, let it roll. Let it roll.